Hi, and welcome to Transformations with Jane. I have a little, something a little bit different for you today. Um, first of all, it's my first uh, male guest on this podcast, and his name is Phil. He is from the UK, and he's one of my very special friends. He came to Japan about the same time as me in 2002. That was 16 years ago. And we were fresh out of university. He ended up in the same little town as me here in Iwaki, Fukushima. And I'm so grateful that he ended up here because he's, um, you know, he really is a special friend. And it doesn't matter that, you know, we don't often see each other or stay in contact because, you know, when we do see each other or, you know, when we do get in contact, it's like no time has passed. I'm sure you have friends like that out there and probably those you know friends who you bonded with during your first days in Japan are probably some of those friends I imagine so Phil's one of those friends for me so today we're going to talk about you know um, how he ended up in Japan and what happened to him after he decided to leave Japan and yeah I'm I'm so proud of him for how he has found his way um, to what he does now as a sports therapist. He helps lots of people with their injuries and getting back to sport. He also supports professional cyclists in Britain. And, you know, I'm really, really, really hoping that he will be chosen to be part of the, the British cycling team that comes to Japan in 2020. I couldn't think of, you know, a better way to debut in as a member of a support team in the Olympics for Phil to come back to Japan because really it's part of, you know, his blood. Uh, you know, it's in his blood now. This Japan is definitely, it changes you when you live here, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, for him to come back for the 2020 Olympics and the, and the support crew for British cycling would be amazing. And so I have my fingers crossed for him. Um, he, yeah, he runs his own clinic in Liverpool. So if you find yourself in Liverpool with an injury, <laughs> then he's deaf. Sport Injury Phil is the place to go. And a Sport Injury Liverpool, I think, is the name of his clinic. And Phil is actually the person who helped me to go out for that very first run. It was about three years ago now. Without him, I wouldn't be the runner that I am today or even be able to put that word in the same sentence as myself. So, um, yeah, he is very special to me in, in that way as well as a supporter. And, you know, he helps so many people to get back to sport or people to get into sport. So, um, yeah, I hope you will enjoy this transformational talk between me and Phil. And, um, yeah, please give it a listen. Here we go. Hi, Phil. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. Hi, Jane. Long time no see. <laughs> it has been a long time no see. Too long, in fact. Um, but I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. Thank you so much for coming along. So, no, Phil, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Phil is a very old friend of mine. We've known each other since 2000 and what was it? Four. We both came to Japan. You, you, I'm going to have to stop. It's 2002. Was it? Even longer, yeah. 
it was, wasn't it? I sorry, yeah, it was two thousand two. <laughs> <laughs> Even longer. All right, yeah. We both came to Japan in two thousand and two. The World Cup had just finished here in Japan, and we both came over as English teachers. Yeah, and yeah. we both ended up in Iwaki City, Fukushima. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, so Phil was one of my first friends in Japan. So I just thought I really have to interview for my podcast, interview you for my podcast. And um, so that's why we're talking today. I'm really excited to have this chance to talk to you again. It's been ages since we've talked. Yeah, no, like I said, I'm looking forward to it because I probably don't do as much as I should to keep in touch with Japan. So I guess we'll, we'll just get to like waffle about Japan for a bit. And that always makes me happy. So <laughs> yeah, so um, Phil, tell us a little bit about you. Um, how did you end up in Japan and what are you doing now? That sort of thing. I could just go on and on and on, so do feel free to cut in, but we'll start at the beginning, shall we? Um, yeah. So yeah, I came to Japan the same time as you, but probably for different reasons, because I know that where you'd studied Japanese, hadn't you? And then, I can't remember, you've been to Japan before? No, I hadn't. So that was your first time, was it? Okay. Mm. Um, I hadn't even thought about it. Subsequently, many years later, I did. Um, um, I lived in London and I worked for a tour operator where part of the job was as a tour guide and I had lots of customers that had had lifelong dreams to go to Japan or a specific interest in you know manga or bonsai or something like that and I never really had any of that Japan was just this very very distant place that I never even contemplated being able to go to um, so my final year of university when I didn't really have a clue what to do it literally like a job just popped up and I thought well it was an English teaching job uh, in Japan. I thought I'd just apply for it, kind of see what happens. So it was very accidental. I applied, did an interview in London, got the job and thought, God, I'm going to be going to Japan in a few months. And it was, I don't know what it was. It wasn't scary. It wasn't intimidating, but I didn't really know what to expect. So that's how I ended up in Japan. Um, but I suppose that in the theme of your transformations, that probably was a five-year transformation that changed everything for me because Japan ended up being just my favorite place in the world and has had a massive influence in, influence on me, really. So it was, a, it was a good bit of coincidence that I ended up there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm very grateful that you ended up in Iwaki with me and we had a great time here. And, you know, even though we don't see each other very often, it doesn't really matter, does it? We're still you know, good mates. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. I it's yeah, I think just because of the, the nature of it, you know, we were not only a bunch of probably quite, quite random people, but there were a few of us foreigners. Um, and although, you know, you've obviously gone on to stay and I learned pretty decent Japanese by the end of it. I think we all only really had each other at the beginning and we've been in quite a rural area as well. Um, I think we were quite a tight little group and that just created a really strong bond. I think it's like if a, a few of the guys that we used to hang around with, we don't really keep in touch anymore, but which is sad, but um, you know, that bond's still there, I think. And it'd be really easy just to, you know, to meet up with these people and have a beer just like it was yesterday. Yeah, it is. And, you know, um, it's sort of like, you know, when you go through something like trying to get used to living in Japan, living in Japan, and mm. um, that's sort of, you know, a transformation experience. And you go through it together. And that bond is, yeah, very sort of, you know, it just, it doesn't end. You know, it doesn't matter that you haven't really talked to each other much in the last two years. You just pick up where you left off and, and off you go again. 
And, um, you know, we've got another friend who comes to see me every year, but it doesn't matter. We haven't seen each other for a whole year and we haven't barely even sort of talked or anything. We just pick up from where we were and, you know, it's wonderful. So it's yeah, sort of it's like one of, yeah, one of the blessings, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think it's a really special, uh, it's just a, a special environment to, to meet someone, I think. So um, how has living in Japan affected or changed you, do you think? Um, I was thinking about this and in some ways, like, I think the age was quite critical that, well, we, we, we all went really sort of, I was 22 and lived there for five years. And I guess a lot of stuff changes in your life then anyways, like first job, first proper living by yourself and having to, you know, pay tax and get a phone and you know, take on all this responsibility. So I guess like that period of life, there's a lot of influences um, that'll affect the rest of your life anyway, but specifically with it being in Japan, um, just sort of, I guess, learning from um, Japanese people, like the the way that things are done over in Japan, I think are quite um, different to certainly what I was used to um, in in the UK. Um, and I feel it's quite. I always feel Japan's quite an inspiring place to be, really, in terms of. Um, I always think that you know pe people are just so, or at least in my experience, people people were so good to me, so friendly, so so kind and understanding and helpful. Um, you all have loads of these stories, but you know, as as I do, as any foreigner that's lived in Japan would. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when I went on holiday, it was throwing it down, and I was just sheltering under a little canopy, and a guy came over and said, "Oh, do you want to have my umbrella?" Oh, no, you're okay. Like you're you're gonna get wet too. And he said, "Oh yeah, but I'm only I'm only going five minutes up the road. Please have it." Said, oh, okay. Thank thank you very much. Just mind blowing things like that that would never happen. Or I think very <laughs> in the UK. They're quite normal in Japan. I mean, aren't they? I, you probably agree with that, I guess. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I remember that you told me that story about the man who gave you his umbrella, even though he was going to get wet himself and potentially potentially melt you know because japanese people seem to think they're going to melt if they get wet um, yeah yeah he was willing to give you his umbrella so that you wouldn't get wet and that you know just that thoughtfulness and you know always thinking of other people is is, is really is wonderful yeah Living so just that yeah and i think things like really small things but in some ways i don't think they're small and, and insignificant like for example um the idea of if there's two of you or a, or a bunch of you whether it's friends family business whatever going out for a drink or all having a drink at home like you wouldn't dream of just drinking would you want someone's put some drink in your glass you all kind of wait till everyone's ready come by and, and then you all drink and it's very kind of communal and together it's the same with eating as well isn't it um, mm, mm. And, I, and i just really like that it's a tiny thing but it makes you feel a lot more bonded and connected I suppose doing doing things like that yeah there's little rituals around things that you don't even notice after a while but you know when you first arrive you're like oh why is nobody drinking yet oh everybody's waiting to see that everybody else has definitely got their drink before we start you know good manners and things yeah yeah um so only... sorry I was just I'm not even sure if that's everything you know I feel like I want to say more about how Japan's influenced me but things like that I think are, are just really important and I suppose I try and I'd like to think if I'm a better person 
to other people than I used to be. That's kind of because of Japan, and you know, there's, that's that's quite an important thing to have in your life, I suppose. Like I'm I'm a nicer person, hopefully, a more forgiving and understanding and helpful person because I lived in Japan. Yeah, and I tend to agree with you there because you know, like having grown up in New Zealand, it's very much what do I want, you know, and what's best for me. Whereas in Japan, it's always like, okay, has everybody else got their drink? Okay, has everybody yeah. else got something to eat? You know, is everybody else okay? Then I'll think about myself, you know. And, yeah. you know, that can be frustrating too, but it generally it means it's a more harmonious, more sort of, you know, peaceful existence than it tends to be perhaps in your own country. Yeah, something I find, I don't know if you find this when you go home, but it always... It doesn't upset me or frustrate me or make me angry. It just kind of makes me laugh, really. When you go to a restaurant, so when I go to a restaurant in the UK, um, and you look around at the tables, and um, whether it's, again, two people, four people, a party, whatever, um, and they've just been sat down, they've all got the menus, they're all, like, in their own little world, looking at their own menu, like, what am I going to eat? True. And when you go to Japan, it's almost like, what are we going to eat? Yeah. Yeah, there's huge big menus with all the photographs all over mm-hmm. spread out on the table and I just I think it's lovely I think there's you know that that side of Japan this sort of harmonious communal side to it is, mm. is, is one of um, my favorite things yeah my husband just came back from two weeks in Germany and he said you know when I was there I saw you know like a couple when they were eating their own pizza and they had like a, a whole pizza to themselves and they didn't even share they each yeah. other taste each other's pizza and i'm like that's such a japanese thing you know, nobody else thinks yeah. about that <laughs> uh, but it's true isn't it it's like what are we gonna eat and let's all order something different god forbid we'd order the same thing and then we actually yeah you know like because then we couldn't share it and that would be a, a huge waste you know make sure we're ordering something different so we can all enjoy lots of different things you know and share everything as yeah it's definitely something to get used to isn't it yeah, I know that when I did the, the, the tour guiding job, most of the clients were from the UK, but not that I think that made any difference. I'm sure it would have been the same if they were you know, Europeans, Westerners from, from whatever country, but that, that took a lot of people some time to get used to. So I'd have to kind of order on behalf of 20, 30 people maybe. And um, I want this, I want that, I want that. It's like, well, why don't we all get a bunch of stuff kind of together, you know, and we can all share it. And then you can try loads of different types of Japanese food. And some people are totally on board with that. I'd like to say the majority. Some people just kind of didn't get it. It's like, no, 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 no. I want, I want that. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. right. <laughs> so um, what happened when you went back to the UK? How did you adjust to being back home again after that? Um... If you remember, well, actually, I probably wouldn't remember. Um, I didn't live in Iwaki at the time. I left from 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 Kobe, um, and I planned to do a bit of traveling on the way back, partly because I wanted to do some traveling uh, around Asia, but also I was well aware that if I just flew from Osaka back to the UK, I thought that'd really freak me out. That'd be far, far too fast to, to adjust. So I went and spent about three months traveling through China and Nepal and India and eventually went home. So I think that kind of softened the adjustment in a way. Um, but yeah, it was really strange. I remember arriving in London eventually and just thinking, God, what an aggressive, loud and obnoxious place. <laughs> you know, like Tokyo is busy, isn't it? 
mm. but not in that sort of aggressive, loud and obnoxious way that, that London is. I subsequently lived in London, like I like London, but it was, it was, uh, it was quite different to, to adjust to. But I, I got home sort of around about Christmas time, so I just kind of uh, had a few weeks of doing nothing really and just catching up with family um, and then thought, what am I going to do next? Because I didn't really have a clue. Um, I assumed as a lot of people do that when you go traveling, you'll kind of, you know, you'll find yourself and you'll, you'll, you'll kind of learn what you want to do for the rest of your life. And clearly that doesn't, doesn't happen a lot of the time. Um, so what did I do? I think I went and spent, I think I went to France cause I did uh, like my degrees in French and Spanish. So I allegedly speak those languages, but it's been a long time. So I went to France thinking that I might like to have a go at, you know, living here for a bit, and maybe doing some translation. Um, but it's almost as if like Japan came calling again because I saw um, this job advertised for the tour operator in London. And I thought, yeah, I'll do that. So that brought me back to the UK. Um, I did that for a couple of years and then I eventually got involved in translation, but in Japanese. So I think by this time I'd done the, God, what's it called? The Japanese proficiency test, JLPT, that's it, isn't it? Mm. Uh, so I did the, I think I was in England when I did the, EQ for that, like the level one, mm-hmm. and thought, yeah, go on, we'll have a go this 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 translation lot thing because I love the idea of, you know, I, I love languages. I'm really interested in Japanese, and I thought being able to do that just armed with a computer and some internet, you know, I could do that in cafes, I could do that in different countries. I thought that'd be a great way to live, um, which it possibly would, but it turned out I wasn't very good at translation, and I wasn't very good at um, build, building up that business. So I, uh, I, I did it for a bit and then 2011, which you'll remember very well, happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I went out to volunteer after the, um, after the tsunami. So that brought yeah, me back so to Japan. You came back to Japan and you went up to, was it Iwate you went to? Uh, yeah, Iwate and Orfanato. Orfanato, yeah, you were volunteering in Orfanato, or you were a ditch bitch, would you? <laughs> you, were... <laughs> you told me not to spare. No, I know, sorry, I had to say that word. But you were cleaning ditches in Orfanato. I was cleaning ditches, yeah. Yeah. Um, amongst others. So that was, um, yeah, that was that was an amazing experience, really. And again, just, just another sort of thing that brought me back to Japan, and I started to think, mm, there's, a, there's a pattern here, keep ending up in Japan. Um, Hopefully that'll continue into the future, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. So All Hands Volunteers is an organization that people should definitely look into if they're ever interested in doing any kind of um, disaster relief volunteering. Basically, wherever there's a disaster, like there's a big, you know, is it Hurricane Florence that's, um, mm. that's affecting the States at the moment? Like All Hands Volunteers will be there doing their... Um, doing their thing and it's I can't say enough about them as an organization they were sort of fantastic to me um they were in Japan from March until I think November was when the project ended and I I um I ended up coming home again but yeah it was just fantastic to to go out and be able to help people um and meet all the volunteers from Japan and from different countries who for various reasons ended up there just to help people. I mean, I, I can't really put into words what an amazing environment that was to be in because obviously no, no one's getting paid for it. That's, that wasn't a motivation. Some people had actually quit their jobs or taken time out to go and do that. 
um, you know, some people who weren't in that kind of situation um, were unable to take a long time out. But, you know, there's some residents of Japan, like foreign residents in Japan that maybe lived in Tokyo, but they'd be coming up every weekend to help out. Um, it was an amazing experience. Um, and again, just something that brought me back to Japan. I thought, yeah, this, this, this place is special. I, uh, you know, I need to, I need to find a way of sort of keeping Japan in my life. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It does get in your bloodstream, I think. And, you know, you were in an orphanato for a while, obviously. I was there for about three, three months, I think in the end. Yeah, and you know, no, no pay. You know, just there as a volunteer every day, digging ditches. Or did you say you were like restoring photographs or something that had been found? There, yeah, there was a bunch of different projects on. Um, lots of them, as you can imagine, were sort of dirty, messy ones, which was probably the most fun, really. Um, just working outside and getting sweaty and getting dirty and doing a bit of you know good hard physical labour. But, you know, you'd find things, you'd find artifacts, you'd find, you know, like probably priceless um, kimonos, for example, you'd kind of find them and you'd find photographs of people and you'd find albums and some of them have been um, destroyed, unfortunately, beyond recognition, but some of them you could kind of make out, um, you know, what the photos were and some of them were immaculate. So the ones that could be restored um, were restored and a lot of them were just kept in this facility where local people would come and um you know sometimes it might be i know there was there was on one occasion i was there there was a mother that you know she'd lost her daughter her daughter was three or four i think um, but for her to be able to come to this facility and find photos of her daughter um you know what what, what a thing to be able to do for somebody really um, so there was all kinds of different projects going on um and yeah i think sort of we left a, a, a nice impression on the local people so that was that was pretty satisfying yeah definitely and i was very lucky to to have, be able to do my part to put you up on your way there on your way home um, from that expedition um yeah because i wasn't actually able to do much at that time you know even though the disaster happened in my backyard pretty much um you know living here in fukushima i had a little baby and I yeah, just become a mum, hadn't you? Yeah. I mean, I was pregnant at the time when the actual disaster happened. And then, you know, I had this tiny baby. And, but all around me was all this, you know, sort of suffering. And, you know, people without homes and people had lost family. But, I, you know, I had this little baby and I couldn't do anything, you know. And it was really, you know, quite stressful for me to not be able to, you know, because really I hadn't lost anything, only my, you know, sanity as it was. <laughs> you know, my peace of mind was the only thing that I'd lost, disaster that's quite a big thing to lose though isn't it i mean i remember you showing me you know you had a geiger counter yeah still do you remember and like you know <laughs> yeah still got it you know when you're sort of walking around taking you know taking your little girl out for walks you sort of checking where you kind of should and shouldn't go based on radiation you know that's that's pretty full on to live through that yeah it was it was at the time but you know in spite of that i still had a warm house and you know enough money yeah money, yeah and i didn't I lost any family members i gained a family member and um yeah so for me to be able to you know at least give you somewhere to stay for a few days on your way to and from that volunteering i felt you know i can at least, at least do my part for it so i'm always very thankful what you did 
to go up there to Okunato where they got absolutely devastated um, and to be able to do your part, yeah. So I'm very grateful for that um, opportunity to be able to do my teeny weeny part down here in Fukushima. <laughs> anyway, so um, you, you know, you went back to the UK, you built a life for yourself again from being an English teacher and now you're a sports therapist. How on earth did that happen? I suppose after the, uh, after the volunteering, um, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I get, I, I was, I was able to, you know, I had a bit of a freelance translation career to, to carry on with. So I did that for, for a few months before getting an, an in-house job at, um, in Liverpool. So that, that sort of brought me back up to the Northwest of the UK, um, where, where I'm actually from, which always seems a bit strange for someone that's lived there. In a, you know, on the other side of the world, but but there we go. Um, but the sports therapy was something that I'd always, I wouldn't say I'd always thought about it. It was my passion when I was a kid. I was into sports. I was into exercise and kind of always wanted to work in that industry. But for whatever reason, I guess, because of choices that I'd made at school and university and ended up going to Japan, none of that really materialized and no regrets whatsoever because I, I had lots of fun doing all those things. Um, but it was a combination of having, I guess, the stability of this in-house translation job and the stability of a regular income. I knew full well when I took that job, I probably wasn't really going to enjoy it. But, you know, I, I gave it a go. And I thought, well, what I'd really like to do is whilst working and whilst doing the sensible, responsible thing of having a job and you know, paying my rent and all the rest of it, I'm going to study on the side. Um, I'm going to find a sports therapy course. And my mantra really was just, do I enjoy it? And could I see myself enjoying this as a profession? Because I think I've done a number of jobs that I haven't, you know, like the experience in Japan, for example, was amazing. But do I want to be an English teacher? Not, not really. Like as a job, that's kind of not what I wanted to do. And it turned out the translation and working for a travel company wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, and so throughout the whole career changing process. My only question to myself was, do I enjoy this? Not, can I make a career out of it? Can it pay me decent money? What are the job prospects? Didn't, I wish I didn't care about it, but I just tried to not use that as a, a reason for or against doing this qualification. I thought if I enjoy it, I'll carry on doing it. And if I am still enjoying it by the end of the qualification and I fancy um, trying to make a career out of it, then, then then I'll worry about that then. So I think that was quite a that was quite an eye opener for me, really, to do something for the sake of it being enjoyable, mm. not because you know there was good job prospects or because my skills happened to be in that area, um, like languages, for example. I think I'm you know I'm 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 not bad at learning languages and working with them, but turns out I don't really enjoy working with them. So. <laughs> Yeah, I or, or rather I do. Sorry, no, I qualify. You're bilingual, aren't you? I mean, you speak Spanish, French, English, and Japanese, but you know, <laughs> it's just a really, it's not really enjoyable. <laughs> no, but I think, no, I love. Sorry, I love speaking the languages mm. in, in a very sort of mm. um, probably even in a professional context. I probably quite enjoy that. Like, it, it's not my plan to do what I do now in Japan. But for example, like that would be 
really fun to, to, to do this job, but using Japanese, I would love that. But the idea of, you know, your, your, your sort of hardcore language job, which is translation, mm. sitting behind a computer all day, not really interacting with people, just interacting with the screen, that, that really didn't float my boat. So I didn't, um, I didn't want to do that. Um, whereas what I do now, I, I meet different people every day. Um, it was never the plan to actually get involved in, I guess, an, an elite level of sport, which I've kind of done um, partly by accident. I'm sure we'll talk about that later as well. Um, but just in terms of my, you know, I'm, I'm sat in my little clinic in Liverpool at the moment, which is based in a rock climbing centre. So I don't really climb anymore, but I, I, I used to do a fair bit. Um, you know, so I come to work in this place where there's people having fun. It looks a bit wacky because if you've never been in an indoor rock climbing centre, the kind of strange looking places, I guess. You've got low walls, slightly higher walls with all sorts of funny coloured plastic holes screwed into them. It's very laid back. Um, you know, the sort of, you know, the staff uniform here in summer is just like, you know, t-shirts or shorts, you know, baseball cap, anything goes really. There's always music playing. Um, obviously, the nature of what I do, I suppose I have to be a bit more professional, but um, it's a very casual place to work. It's a fun place to work. And I just rent out a room and I treat my clients in here. So I enjoy that. Like It's fun. I get to meet people. Um, hopefully, I get to help people as well. So there's that sense of satisfaction. So I guess um, it's been good. Like it's been a good, it's been a good transformation. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, obviously it was the one that, you know, you had to find your way to. You investigated all these other um, avenues. And it turns out that you are actually supposed to be a sports therapist. And I remember when you came to Japan and, you know, I just arrived at the same time and another friend as well. And like we were 22, 23 years old. And so our like <clears throat> deepest thoughts were about, you know, just when am I going to get drunk next? Is it <laughs> and you would be out like, you know, running and going to a gym and stuff. And everybody else would be like, still doing it oh come on i still did plenty of the getting drunk stuff i know you did the, get, the getting drunk stuff but that you know that's all we did but you were always out training you're always out running or gymming or something and we were just like wow that guy is just you know <laughs> we we couldn't you know obviously sport is part of you you know and even though you came to japan you didn't give that up you know it was always important to you even you know when you would go out running and get lost and stuff you would still go out oh, running, you? <laughs> I, I had to be didn't it <laughs> i mean it yes. still happens like i get lost in my own living room don't i so yeah, <laughs> that still happens you'd be glad to know so you know you started your little you started your little you, you know you said you've got your little treatment room where you do things but now well not now but you for a while now you've been supporting the the you know professional cycling teams in the uk as a sports therapist like how yeah. did that start to happen so that directly came through one of the guys that i was studying with when i did my sports therapy course um so like a lot of things in life um th through connections and through networks as i say it's mm. kind of accidental in a way it's not something i i pursued um Having said that, I suppose I can look back and think of, you know, maybe conversations that I had with this guy that maybe other people didn't have that when he needed help with his cycling team, he thought of me and not somebody else. And I guess that's the value of just talking to people, I suppose, and kind of being um, 
being helpful. Being helpful, yeah, being helpful, being a bit mm. sort of direct as well. Yeah, I'm actually quite interested in this. I'd actually quite like to do that. Um, so when did that start? Probably the second year that I was doing sports therapy. Um, it was just to literally help out with 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 a team at a bike race. Um, and I said yes. And I think another thing that 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 you I'm sure you're noticing as well, like when you kind of set up your own business, you you have to be to some extent like open to everything. Yeah, I'll do that, 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 I'll take that on. Um because you want to give yourself all those options, I suppose. Um so I was very sort of open to, to, to trying anything really. And um, I've always been quite interested in cycling. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you with that race. Good. So I did three or four races with uh, Team Wiggins in 2015. And that just kind of grew from there, really. It's a, it's a very strange, sorry, not strange, but it is quite strange in some ways. But let's say a very niche sport to work in, cycling. That's kind of small, really, as a sport. It's not like football or, or rugby, say. Um, and the role actually is, you call it a soigneur. So that's a French term and it sort of translates as carer, really. So as much as I would like to say that it's purely about, you know, advanced physical therapy and preparing the athletes for racing, that's part of it. But you also do a lot of very menial tasks as well. So, you know, you'd be making food, you'd be making sort of race food, you know, flapjacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be filling up water bottles and um, all the kind of energy, um, you know, sort of sports nutrition products that you can buy nowadays, whether it's energy powder to put in a drink or protein powder, all that kind of thing. Like, you know, part of the role is dealing with all that. So it's definitely not glamorous. Like it's absolutely not glamorous. Um, It probably looks like it is from the outside, but you can be stood on a muddy cobbly street in Belgium in March when it's blowing a gale really cold and throwing it down and you've got to stand there until the bike riders come past so you can hand them a you know a little bag with a couple of drinks and a mars bar in and you think mm, glamorous no this is definitely <laughs> but it's it's um it's kind of fun and off the back of doing that sort of work i'm now in a position where i'm doing a lot more work for um for, for british cycling and cycling in Great Britain's always been this really niche sport that we've been pretty rubbish at until about the last 10 years when we've become very, very good at it. Um, you know, British riders have won the three grand tours this year. So Tour de France, um, Tour of Italy, just literally yesterday won the Tour of Spain. Mm. Uh, we do quite well at the Olympic Games. You know, we tend to come home with, you know, pockets full of medals and a lot of them gold. Um, so. I'm now working with sort of that, that, that sector of the sport. And that's, that's pretty cool. Like it is, it is quite exciting really, even if the job may not be that much different. I'm now talking about possibly working at the Olympic games next year, possibly, sorry, not next year, 2020 and year after next, um, you know, isn't it's, it's not a given, it might happen, but just the fact that I can even postulate that as an idea is really, is really exciting for me. So it's, it's good. It's going on. And like, how awesome is it that potentially your first Olympics will be in where? In Japan? In, in Tokyo, yeah. In Tokyo. It, it's almost like it's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, it's, if it doesn't happen, I'll be like, 
Um, excuse me, universe. I think you've royally um, like mucked this one up for Phil. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Like, surely, you know, this is need to happen. Like, that's just, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, a Japanese-speaking sports therapist. Of course you need to be at the Olympics in 2020. Yeah? I, I would I'm, hope so. <laughs> I drop plenty of hints, don't get me wrong. Like, I drop mm -hmm. a lot. It's like, and it's like, you used to live in Japan, just by the way. Oh, yeah, speak Japanese, just by the way. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's there's only so much I can do, but as long as... I'm turning up at races and doing my job well. Um, I guess I guess I've got a chance. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would be that would be amazing. That would be. I suppose it'd be. I suppose it would be a dream come true. Like the proper dream come true would be to go to the Olympics as a competitor. And I learned from a very young age that was never going to happen, and that's fine. But I guess the second best from that is to actually go, not even as a spectator, but to be involved with a team and with a team that's actually kind of good at, at, at that sport yeah um, you know it'd be it would be amazing it would be a dream it would be. so fingers crossed and i'll keep working hard and, and and we'll see how we get on yeah and i'll have my fingers crossed for you and we're waiting to see you in 2020 so i'll be expecting you um got the photon for you here in fukushima Bab. you won't Excellent. be able to come and not come and stay with us <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. There'll definitely be a holiday tagged on to the end of it. There will be, yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing that um, some of my listeners might not know is that, you know, I am, I'm now what I would call a runner. And the fact that I'm a runner, I can pretty much attribute to you. Well, I don't think it's just because of me. But we can um, argue that in a minute, but go on. <laughs> so um, when I was like at the very beginning of my running career, um, I actually sent an email to Phil and I was like, Phil, I really want to start running. But, you know, um, I've got this really jippy ankle and, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to damage it more. And do you remember what you said to me? I thought... <laughs> No. I probably just 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 crack on. Just work. Okay, out. just crack on. Come on. No, that's pretty much what you said. You were just like, well, why don't you just give it a go, and you'll probably find that it strengthens up, and you'll be fine. And I was, and I am, and I've never had an injury since. You know, you know, I've never had an injury with my running, and um, you know, so basically, you gave me the permission slip to get started on this journey with running for the first time in my life ever. So. Yeah, I just want everyone to know that, you know, when you see me, you know, see things about, you know, Jane running or joining a marathon, whatever it is, because of Phil, who I'm talking to today, <laughs> that I'm actually doing this, yeah, because otherwise I'd still be, like, worrying about my ankle that hurts, probably still be hurting me, it hasn't hurt since I started running, basically, <laughs> so, um, yeah, Phil's good like that, so if you have any, you know, um, sort of niggly issues that you think are holding you back from sport, just get in touch with Phil and he'll put you straight. Yeah. He'll <laughs> <laughs> probably tell you to just crack on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's about, thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. I think that's probably only a very small part of what's turned you into a runner. Mostly it's your dedication to it and the fact that you're willing to have a go in the first place, which is a real stumbling block for a lot of people. Um, and like, I think you're training for a half marathon now, is that right? Um, I was last um, February, 
I was I entered a half marathon, but I got the shingles um, like oh. a month before, and so I had to sort of <clears throat> pull out of that. But I did a ten k relay as part of the marathon instead and finished that. Oh, well done. And I'm actually signed up for the Iwaki Sunshine Marathon, which happens every February. Okay. And I'm not going to run the marathon. I'm going to just do the 5K. But okay. I'm quite proud of myself for actually getting, um, like I think it's six or seven other people to sign up for the 5K. Me. And some of them have never run ever. You know, like <laughs> this will be their first running um, yeah. event and they can't run 5K at this point. So, um, yeah, I've created this little community of people who are going to start running because of me. So yeah, like that, that that kind of thing is brilliant. And when I think you you mentioned before that like, or maybe your listeners don't know that that you consider yourself a runner. Like they, I think they kind of should know. Like that's like the the way you've come from not being a runner to obviously being quite involved in it and encouraging other people. That, that's amazing, really. That's you should be a really proud of it and b tell the world about it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, I am quite proud of the fact that I'm actually in the position now where I can say to people, you can do it. if I can do it, you can do it too. Let's do it together. And yeah, they're yeah. like, okay, if, you know, I trust you. And, and then they'll go and sign up for this, like, race. So, yeah, um, here we go. Another new chapter of my running thing is to inspire other people to start giving it a go too. Because if God knows if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> That's for sure. I think anyone can. I mean... See, I suppose what I've just said to you is quite interesting from a, I suppose, just like a, um, like a sport and exercise point of view, but kind of a business point of view as well. Because if you'd given me a ring, so let's say you're in, you're in Liverpool and that makes you a potential customer. I mean, good as I might be, you're not going to fly over from Japan to see me, are you? Re- you know, realistically. Um, so let's say you've been in Liverpool and you're one of my potential customers and you phoned me up and said, just having a bit of trouble um, with my ankle, trying to get into running. It's a bit sore. Have you any advice? Should I book an appointment? I'd probably give you the same advice. I'd probably say, well, you know what? It's kind of a, you know, a natural thing that when you start doing a new activity, something's going to hurt a little bit. Um, and if it's no more than a niggle, you know, I sort of accept that in a way, embrace that as something that's actually very normal and not scary um, and is almost to be expected in a way, let it settle a little bit and then try again. Maybe just back off the the amount that you do or the intensity with which you do it and see how your body responds. Like the human body is an amazing thing and it will adapt to whatever stress you put it through. It just takes a bit of time. Um, same way as everything takes time, doesn't it? Like learning a language takes time. Um, you know, losing weight takes time, getting proficient at anything takes time. And so it's exactly the same with, with sport, really. So we'd have probably put the phone down and said, all right, try, try doing that. And if you have any problems, give me a ring. And then I'd have maybe never seen you again because, yeah. you know, so it's interesting, isn't it? That like part of the difficulty that you have if you are, um, like a therapist with integrity is what you should do is give people the advice and the, I suppose the confidence as well um, to just say, well, you know, that that's fine. Like don't, don't be afraid of the fact that you're a a bit injured, you know, unless it's something that's persistent and you really can't get on top of it, it'll probably clear itself up. If you allow it to just crack on. Um, (laughs) 
the other approach is to say, right, your ankle's bad. You're not going to be able to run unless you come and see me and you book in for three or four sessions. Mm. Um, that might sound a bit extreme, but that is the approach of quite a lot of people, um, even if it's not meant with sort of bad intention, really. So it's interesting as to how you, um, how you kind of build a business based on integrity rather than build a business based on getting people in to pay you some money for an appointment just because you can. Mm. And look where integrity's taken you, you know, like you're supporting the British cycling team and things, you know. Yeah, ho ho hopefully. Yeah. But I suppose it's less, less about me and more about sort of um, I, your listeners, if that's something that they're interested in, I, I suppose, is to, um, you know, it's, I think it's great when people have the kind of journey that you've had where you've, you've not come from that background and you've made it part of your life or irrespective of whether it's running something that you might count as a, as a, as a sport, you know, something that doesn't, isn't necessarily competitive, but could be, or, or just, you know, some sort of exercise, whether it's an exercise class or a dance class or whatever, being active is very beneficial to your life, but it's quite hard to appreciate that until you've actually done it. I don't know. Would you, would you agree? I hope you'd agree. Oh, I mean, definitely. Like if I, I think, you know, like, oh, let's just stop running. No, I don't want to, you know, like it, it only brings good things to my life. I meet interesting yeah. people and like going in my first race last February was a fantastic experience, even if it didn't go that well, um, you know, and that just made me want to try even more things and it gave me confidence that, you know, if I can achieve something that seems so impossible, like running five kilometers, what else could I potentially do? And yeah, so I'm trying yeah. to source about things. And you know, it's just another another thing that um, you know, if you can do this, what else? Yeah, what else can you do? Hey, look at me, I'm podcasting now. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, all sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's all the related health benefits as well. It's just, you know, just being being active is is good. It's just a good mm -hmm. thing. And now I know that 22-year-old Phil who came to Japan and, you know, was running and cycling when the rest of us were just drinking and eating chips and chocolate was very smart. Um, <laughs> if only 22-year-old me hadn't been, you know, just eating cheese and crackers all the time. But anyway, um, I found my way to it. And it's thanks to you that I, I did actually, I actually had that permission slip. You know, that I just sort of needed the permission to say, okay, you're okay, just go and give it a go. And and so I hope that, you know, I can start handing out permission slips now to other people as well. Um, which is, yeah, really nice to be able to do that for others and help them on their way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's it's, it's really nice of you to say that. I think there's, there's so many different, I think a lot of people are, uh, I think it's not a surprise to anyone to realize that activity is good for you. You know, if you're the type of person that doesn't ever do any exercise, like it's like being, let's say you have a, a terrible diet, which probably doesn't apply to many people in Japan in my experience, but in the UK, there's people with pretty terrible diets, like never eat vegetables, but you know how much better you feel if you have a healthy diet and you eat stuff that's good for you. That's not to say that you can't have a bit of rubbish every now and again, that's fine. Um, you know, people know that exercise and activity is good for you, but are often quite intimidated by what they perceive as being 
the only outlets for that, which is things like, you know, running and pinning a number on and doing a race and being competitive and it all being a bit serious, which is something that a lot of people don't want. Um, a lot of people do want that. Like I quite enjoy that side of it and that's fine, but I think it's really nice for your listeners that uh, maybe don't kind of want to get involved with anything that's kind of, you know, serious and a bit, I don't know, professional almost to, mm. To, to, to know that there's another outlet out there it's not about how fast you run for example it's just about doing it it's not necessarily about being any good at you know a particular activity it's just going to a class and having fun it, sh- it should be fun and enjoyable really so that's i guess that'd be my my take-home message for people that are kind of interested in becoming a little bit more active make, make it fun give yourself time to enjoy it and get healthy from it and, you know, like people who come to your clinic, um, you know, with various injuries, is it because they've overdone it? What, like, why do they end up in your clinic? Generally. That, that, yeah, generally that's why people end up here. Um, whether they're complete beginners or whether they've been doing sport for some time. So you get your traumatic injuries. I work in a rock climbing center. Occasionally people fall and they'll, you know, sprain an ankle. Like this. It, it happens. Um, and that's always going to happen. There'll always be that element of risk, I suppose, in any sport. But most often it's when people actually get really keen on, we'll use running as an example, but it does apply to, to any sport really. So spring, for example, Weather gets a bit nicer. We have a nice little window where a few weeks where it doesn't rain, which is practically unheard of in the UK, but it does happen sometimes. Um, Easter holidays or half term or something, some reason where like someone has got this combination of factors, like an increased interest in doing their activity, nicer conditions in which to do it. And so they suddenly do a lot more than their bodies used to. So let's say someone might run three times a week for two or three kilometers, just, just short little runs. And then they suddenly think, Oh, I'm going to try a, try a 10 K this week. I mean, people do it. Um, your body will allow you to go so far with that, but then they'll say, no, 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 no. We're not ready for that yet. You haven't prepared me up until this point and something will start to hurt. And usually it won't be anything serious. It will just be what we term a, a progressive or an overuse injury. And so somebody will book an appointment with me and we go through the consultation, which involves, you know, a lot of talking, like you want to find out the context of what brought that person to the stage where they thought about making an appointment and coming in to see me. And you'll tend to, you know, nine times out of 10, probably you'll find that's the case that someone just did that bit too much, that bit too soon, something started to hurt. And, and really it's the same sort of approach as, um, as our little conversation we were talking about earlier, just saying, okay, it's, it's fine educate that person reassure them do the sort of physical tests that you need to do and you know explain what you're doing so that someone can see that just because their ankle is is sore it basically moves well it's basically pretty strong they can do a certain amount of activity on it it's it's not bad just because it hurts it doesn't mean it's broken it doesn't mean it's damaged it just means it's been stressed a little bit more than it can handle and so you're trying to give the client a bit of confidence as well, just to say, you know, it's, it hurts because it, you, you've done, a, you know, you've exceeded your capacity and that's okay. You haven't damaged anything, 
So we just need to back off a little while, which doesn't mean resting and getting really frustrated in the meantime. It doesn't mean you can't do any exercise. There'll always be things that a person can do. Again, if, if, if someone's literally not able to run through a sore knee, there's a good chance that they might be able to ride a bike or go on one of the cross trainers in the gym or do some squats at home or go out and do some power walking. There's, there's always options that someone can do. So it's finding what those things are, trying to encourage a person. Like, okay, so cycling might not be your favorite activity, but it's going to help you get back to running sooner and having lost less fitness. And people usually buy into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's whether it's running, climbing, cycling, swimming, whatever, that's, that's a common, um, that's probably the most common um, appearance in the clinic. Mm, yeah. So if anyone's sort of wondering, oh, you know, I'm a little bit injured, can I do X, Y, Z? Well, chances are you can just, yeah, take it easy and strengthen that muscle or whatever that's injured as you go. And you're yeah. 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 Like the, the pe- people automatically think rest. Oh, I'll take a week off and see how it is. And I mean, that's, that's you know, it's fine. But I guess why do nothing for a week and be really frustrated when you could be doing something else? So um, we in this industry prefer a term relative rest. So that means a rest or reduction from the particular activity that aggravates you, but replacing it with something else that doesn't aggravate you. So again, the example of you can't run because it hurts your knee. But try cycling because cycling is relatively kind to your joints and, and that might be something that you can do. Do you see emotional pain people? Like um, the reason I ask is I, I realized that <clears throat> I have this knee, right? And every time I'm in this sort of emotional upheaval sort of state, it will hurt like anything. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. I've done something to my knee. You know, mm. and oh, I've twisted it running, and that's not what it is. It's just whatever yeah. this unresolved thing in my life that I haven't dealt with. And until mm. it gets resolved, it will hurt like anything. And as soon as it's resolved, it'll be like, oh, it's gone. And after a few yeah. sort of, you know, reoccurrences of this, I realized, oh, okay, this is an emotional thing. This is not actually a physical, there's nothing physically wrong with my knee. This is just where my body is choosing to show me it's. That, you know we you know that something's not right and so now when my knee hurts i'm like okay jay what are you avoiding what is it that you're you know stress dealing you with yeah do you have lots of patients like that show up in your clinic interesting um uh it's it's interesting that you recognize that so i suspect that i do have a number of clients like that in the clinic but they don't have that awareness in the way that you do so a lot of the, um, I guess physio has gone through a few stages as any, as any um, science, if you can call it that, does. Um, physio has kind of been through the, the biostructural phase, which is to believe that everything is based on tissue. So if something hurts, it's because a you know, ligament, muscle, tendon, piece of physical structure is damaged in some way and we're learning now that that's not really the case um so pain science and the, the, the nature of pain like what pain is 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 quite sort of um sexy let's say in the world of um in the world of physio at the moment and it's interesting you're obviously like aware of that in a way that a lot of people aren't 
So people will always assume that it is like an issue with the tissue. <laughs> but we know that pain is something that evolves in the brain. Mm. Um, so there's, I guess there's various, uh, there are various theories on which is not, it's not a physio podcast that's really discussed that. But I mean, it's interesting that it's unique and it's interesting that you're aware it's, a, it's an emotional thing. There's an idea that, so maybe, but let's imagine this situation and you, 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 whether it's true or not doesn't really matter, but it's a, it's a possibility. When you were really young, maybe even too young to be conscious of it, you really hurt your knee. You're like oh, a did. little kid. I, it was a skiing accident. I have. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah. particular knee, I twisted it really badly when I was skiing once. So, yeah, that's obviously why okay. that particular knee hurts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, in, in the same way as, I mean, you know, there's probably, and obviously given the amount of running that you do, this is how you get, I guess, clients to buy into this kind of thing. Can't be that much wrong with your knee if you're able to go through sustained bouts of running, which is mm. fairly intensive on your joints. So definitely nothing wrong with that knee, but there's an emotional connection with a previous, um, you know, physical trauma that you've had to your knee that resurfaces every now and again. Um, when you when you when you're not in a good state of mind, and so I guess once the treatment for that for you almost is just knowing that that's a factor. W would that be fair to say you're not necessarily having to your first port of call is not to necessarily put ice on it or stretch it or do some squats. It's to no. actually understand why it's happening it's to, to deal with whatever it is that I'm avoiding. You know, like exactly. Exactly. Decide the decision that I can't decide or whatever it is. Yeah. I need yeah. to deal with that issue. And then the pain goes away just like magic. Yeah. Exactly. So that's, that's really, really interesting. And it's something that, um, I suppose if I'm honest, I, I kind of struggle with that because that's something that you, um, you, you as part of your, this is why you, you, you talk to people a lot and you don't just get someone into your room and start looking at them and, and getting them to move about. You need to talk to people. You need to actually find out if that is an issue, for example. Um, and a lot of people either don't remember or don't tell you about that traumatic skiing incident they had when they were younger, or they think it's completely irrelevant. And so it's a completely different, like to have that conversation with someone and talk to them for like half an hour is not what people expect when they come in here. Yeah, they people expect come to in. get a massage and, you know, get, exactly, yeah. get them up on the table and lie down. And yeah. Take my name, take my height, take my weight, get me to sign a form, but then let's get on with it, you know, like, you know, get, get your hands on my knee. And that's, mm -hmm. that's important too, but it's, you know, you have to find out what you're dealing with. You know, sometimes that is more appropriate, as I say, if, if someone's just fallen off a climbing wall and dislocated their elbow, that's a completely different you know, we're looking at a different situation there, aren't we? But a lot of the time, um, you know, your, your case is actually very common. What's different is that you're aware of it and you've given me all the answers that I need to know without me having to ask any questions. You know, if we imagine this was a patient client consultation, obviously it isn't, um, to actually get that out of someone who's not aware that it might be a factor is much more difficult. It was interesting. You always like they're, they're always the kind of treatments that you have where you think you can make a massive difference. Yeah, because I remember I actually did ask you about it. I'm like, so you know, I've started running and you know, and suddenly I've got the sore knee, and I thought it was for all these other things, but after having you know tried, you know, reducing the running and to half, and then building it back up and things, it didn't get better. But 
it did get better once I resolved what was going on and then it would happen again yeah. and then you know and then I'd have another huge decision in front of me and I'd be like oh my god my knee is throbbing but I've done nothing to it so it's obviously something to do with this decision that I'm having trouble making so by a process of <laughs> you know like have this happening quite a few times I realized what the source of this problem was so yeah um it makes me wonder how many people are suffering these injuries that they think are just old recurring injuries when in fact it's actually emotional pain or some you know unresolved oh definitely yeah stress is a massive one stress, you know yeah. stress so you know if you're working nine to five in an office every day in an environment i mean don't get me wrong like I, that's not an environment i like to work and some people do and that that's totally fine each to their own but um there's as you and I well know, there's people doing jobs that they really don't like, but they do them mm -hmm. because they pay well or because they can't get anything else at the moment. You know, it's a difficult job market out there, I think, everywhere in the world at the moment. Um, so if you're kind of locked behind a computer all day, getting really stressed, getting, um, you know, getting grief from your boss for something that you really don't enjoy, that's going to make you stressed and, and suddenly you're getting headaches, your shoulders hurt, your back hurts. Yeah. I mean, part of that's maybe the, the, the physical side of it, that you're not getting a lot of movement in your life, but the stress and anxiety it, it is massive. Like that's, that's, and it's obviously, it's no easy thing to say, well, just quit your job then. Why don't you just go and do something else? Like, obviously that's not really, maybe that's a long-term answer, um, but it's definitely not a short-term aid. So I suppose that's that's the other side of your treatment where you're talking about okay this is you know this is a big factor this is your stress and anxiety is a big factor in why you're getting these headaches and why your shoulders really sore um and, and trying to find ways to, to to help people resolve that even if it's just a bit of sort of short-term relief while they work on a solution to the big problem yeah but, so you're part the physical therapist part to the psychotherapist almost you know i don't really think of myself like that but i suppose <laughs> i suppose i should i mean i i know when i started off um and it's interesting to i suppose to see how you've evolved yourself really i mean you mm. i think a lot of people start their studies um you know, there's all sorts of different treatments out there so whatever your discipline people often start off thinking well okay, I'll find what the problem is. It's going to be with a piece of tissue, you know, this muscle here. I'll fix that and then everything will be fine. Um, and I remember, I can't remember who it was now, but someone I heard of, and I'm sure there's loads of people out there that do essentially what I do, but virtually from a computer online. And I'm thinking, you know, years ago, well, how the heck do you do that? You can't really, you know, I'm sure seeing someone in the flesh is definitely more effective than seeing them through a webcam, but just that idea that you can treat people without actually getting your hands on them, but you, you, you can for that very reason. You know, you can advise people, you can educate people, you can just listen to people. Like listening to people is a big, big part of it. You know, people like to talk and be listened to. Um, so yeah, there's probably no reason why you couldn't do my job virtually. Got me thinking now, Jane. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if anyone would like to take up Dr. Phil here on, <laughs> on his virtual um, <laughs> um, treatment, you know, that could be something in the pipeline in the future. But, you know, perhaps someone's passing through Liverpool and they've hurt themselves. How do they um, get in touch with you? Where are you in the world? 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Liverpool. I'm just sort of outside the centre, really. Um, assuming that probably no one is just passing through Liverpool, I'll give you my uh, website address as well because I'm, uh, I'm online, as anyone should be these days. Uh, so I have a website, which is sports, in the plural, sportstherapyliverpool.co.uk. Um, I'm also not as active I, as I should be, but I am alive and well on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Sport Injury Phil, not Sport in the singular Sport Injury Phil. Yeah, so you know, if you're interested in what Phil's up to with his, you know, um, touring with the cycling team and things, you can see where he's been recently. I quite like following your Instagram to see what you've been up to and you know which part of the world you're currently touring in with your gonna, cyclists and yeah. I'm going to be in Austria next week, so that should be nice and pretty. Mm, looks good. I love a bit of Austria. It's beautiful there. Definitely looking forward to some I've never been on that. I'm excited. You've never been? The mountains are beautiful. No. Where are you going? Um, it's the Cycling World Championships and they're in Innsbruck. Ah, Innsbruck. I was going to say that's beautiful there. Like lots of mountains and fantastic. Okay. If you're if you ride in the course, it's not beautiful. It's very, very, very hard. Oh, I'm sure it's not. You working and not riding, so for me, it's fine. If you're Instagramming the course, then I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah. So make sure you take lots of photos and put them up on your thing, so I can, you know, travel without leaving Japan. So I'm here for a, for a while. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, I'd love to get some Japanese comments as well. If I get some Japanese comments on the Instagram photo, I'll be, I'll be made up. <laughs> I'm not sure that many people listening are actually Japanese speakers, but um, most people, lots of people living in Japan will be listening. So anyway, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> new fans of Japan. Um, when you start up your um, satellite clinic in Tokyo, um, I'm sure you'll, there'll be people lining up around the block for it. But um, yeah, so thank you so much for coming along to talk to me today. It's been wonderful to, you know, talk about sport, talk about running, talk about life in Japan and just connect with you again. Um, so it's been too long since we've talked, isn't it? No, it's been great, Jane. Just again, just it's been instructive for me. So thank you for inviting me on. It's been really fun. It's been nice to talk to you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with Phil, you know, maybe you've got a jippy knee too and you're wondering whether it's real pain or emotional pain, <laughs> just give him a, Phil an email and he'll sort you out, yeah? <laughs> All right, thanks so, thanks so much, Phil. Bye. Right, thanks, Phil. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was the interview with um, Phil McDonald, one of my very first friends uh, who I met when I moved to Japan 16 years ago. And as you can see, you know, being together in Japan when you're just off the airplane can be a very bonding experience. And, you know, it's been it's been like a good two years probably since I've seen Phil, um, but it doesn't really matter. Um, we're still good mates and I love to keep in touch with what he's up to. And I'm super duper proud of how he's um, built a life for himself since he left Japan those years ago. And, um, you know, he came back to Japan to be a volunteer up in Ofunato and, 
you know, he found his way to being a sports therapist and that's really paying off for him now, um, you know, s- supporting these professional cycling teams over in the UK. I'm really looking forward to seeing him over here in 2020 because, like, British Cycling, if you're listening, you have to have Phil on your team. Like, he, as you can tell, he's just, you know, such a good-hearted person and a perfect member of any team, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, definitely make sure Phil's on your team, please. (laughs) Anyway, so that was – so I hope, you know, if you're suffering from some kind of pain that you're wondering, is this an injury or is this something else? Perhaps it's not – you know, perhaps it is something else. And we talked a little bit about my um, mysterious knee pain, which – you know, I did have that um, really quite sort of serious skiing accident when I was about 12 years old um, on my right knee and I could barely walk for several days, whereas now my body chooses that spot just to let me know that, hey, there's something that you're not dealing with, Jane, here. And so that's where it shows me that, you know, through this sort of physical pain that I'm actually in some under some emotional stress. And it always comes out when I've got these huge, you know, sort of big decisions to make, or I'm really worried about something that, you know, I just haven't dealt with or I'm avoiding something. Perhaps you have something similar. Um, Yeah. It's really hard to tell the difference because it just feels like it is, it feels like physical pain. It is physical pain, but you know, as soon as I resolve whatever it is that's annoying, annoying me or upsetting me, it's gone. And then, so now, you know, after several bouts of this, I've finally figured out what it is. And I'm very grateful to know that, okay, if I get my, if my jippy knee starts giving me um, trouble, then, you know, it's time to, to do the inner work because it's not actually a physical problem with my knee. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed our episode today. Something a little bit different and our very first um, male <laughs> person to have on this podcast. But um, I'm, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to the transformational talk between me and Phil today. And I'll let you know when the next episode is out. It'll be out soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. See you in the next episode. <laughs>